Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are loved. So as you guys know, we've been studying through the book of Colossians. And if you have your Bible, I invite you to open your Bible or if you have an electronic device, uh, open up to Colossians. And today we're going to be looking at Colossians chapter 2. Does anybody remember the name of the series that we are on? Jesus versus everything, but Betsy, you're not too far off. um, Because Jesus versus everything. But I'm glad you said Jesus over everything. Because I'm going to get to that in today's word. So the title is, yes, it's Jesus versus everything. And there's so much truth to that statement, right? There's so much truth to it. And in our walk, are we actually living this out? Not only Jesus versus everything, but he is over everything. Betsy jumped the gun with this one. He's over everything. It's Jesus versus everything, right? But it's also Christ over everything. He's over all. He's over everything because he has defeated the challenge before him. He's defeated sin, and he has defeated death. He's won, and he's won in a flawless way. Have you guys ever played a game, maybe when you were younger, called Mortal Kombat? I used to love Mortal Kombat. I used to always choose this guy named Scorpion, and he would throw this thing with his hand, and it would say, get over here. I don't know. I used to play this game a lot. I loved Mortal Kombat. Maybe some of your kids play. Maybe some of you guys have played it when you were younger. But in Mortal Kombat, when you're fighting your opponent, and you don't get hit at all, and you defeat the opponent at the end, it's called a flawless victory. Do you guys remember that saying in Mortal Kombat? Flawless victory. This crazy voice will come out, and the guy says, flawless victory. And I'm getting to, to a point with this because Jesus had a flawless victory. It was a flawless victory, and we're called to live like him. But obviously, along the way, we're going to experience some things. We're going to get things whispered in our ears, and we're going to get things that are false placed before us, and we're going to encounter things that are not of Jesus. And obviously, if you live in this world, things are placed before us every single day that are not of Christ. So for the past few weeks, we began studying through the book of Colossians and how the church became established. And we see that by the mouth of one man, a church was planted. Do you guys remember what this man's name was? Epaphras. That's him. Epaphras. And it's so powerful how power lies in the tongue and what we speak is so powerful because by what this man Epaphras spoke to the people of Colossae, a church was planted. And that's a whole other preaching in itself that should get you thinking, man, what I am speaking, is it holding truth and is it powerful? So by the boldness of one man, Epaphras, a man that just got a glimpse of truth. And then he ran with the truth to instill it into the hearts of the people of Colossae. Because of his obedience and by the power of the Holy Spirit that was stirring in him. Imagine if you answer every call, every power of the Holy Spirit that stirs within you, if you answer that call. 
Look what Epaphras did. He had a stirring in his heart. He went to go see Paul. And when he sees Paul, he's so struck by the truth that Paul is preaching on of the gospel of Jesus Christ that he takes that knowledge and he takes that truth back to Colossae. And now he starts talking to the people of Colossae. I have a message to tell you. I've heard from the Apostle Paul and I need to share this message with you because of the obedience that he walked in. Look what happened. An entire church in that region sprung out. I hope that as believers, we could get it to a point in our walk that we become obedient to the sound or to the stirring of the Holy Spirit. Imagine what you can do if you are obedient to everything that the Spirit tells you to do. Amen. So because of his obedience and by the power of the Holy Spirit stirring in him, the gospel reached endless amount of people. And all because he answered a call that God stirred in his heart. And that's how the church was established in Colossae. And we've been studying for the past few weeks. We've observed that the early church also went through struggles. And Paul saw the struggles within the Colossians because Epaphras went back to visit him. And Epaphras said, Paul, I'm, I'm dealing with things that I've never dealt before within the church. I need help. And the church of Colossae, they began to go into different types of beliefs. And we could recap them. Do you guys remember any of the beliefs that the church was struggling with? Gnostic mysticism. Go ahead. Yes. Asceticism, religious asceticism. And the last one was Jewish legalism. So the first one was Gnostic mysticism or mystical polytheism. So many Colossians greatly feared evil spirits. And to avoid affliction, they called on angels for help and protection. That's one of the things that they were doing. The, the worship of angels. And many of these Christian Colossians, you got to look at the background of it and how they grew up. They grew up also worshiping many false gods. So Jesus comes into the picture. And they added Jesus to the bunch of false idols that they previously had. That's what they ended up doing. And the false teachers that were there were into Gnostic mysticism. Right? They also believed that they had greater knowledge than other people in the church. But their goal was to lead people astray. And Paul recognized this through Epaphras. And he has to remind them, and we're going to get into it in chapter 1, verse 13. He has to remind them that they have been delivered from the dominion of darkness. And he speaks against the lies that were being spoken. And he starts writing these things in the epistle to the Colossians. So the second thing that they faced, so we could recap it, was Jewish legalism. So you see, there were still some trying to observe the law of the Torah. They believed that it was necessary for spiritual advancement. And Paul begins to address this, legal, this Jewish legalism as well. You see, because they started abstaining from things, certain foods that they shouldn't eat. They started observing sacred days, and they were still speaking on circumcision. And these are all specific rules of teachers of false philosophy. These teachers infiltrated the church, and they told believers that they must continue to follow these rules. And we know that under the new covenant, what a person eat, it eats is not important. 
It's not important to the spiritual life. Neither is circumcision. And Paul again has to remind them. You have died to Christ. Why are you still submitting to regulations of the world? The third thing, I, I believe uh, Vanya said it, is religious asceticism. Religious asceticism. People in the church started hurting themselves. And, and there's still religions today that do this. They inflict physical pain on one another and on themselves to gain God's favor. So they started hurting themselves to show how much they were suffering for God. They were making it known to everyone how disciplined they were in certain things that they may gain God's favor. But it was all an act of pride. All of it came from a prideful heart, an act for show. And Paul again has to address the asceticism. He says this, that if you're going to suffer for Christ, count it all joy. That's what he starts telling them. You're suffering for Christ, but in the wrong way. You need to count it all joy. So this is what the Colossians were facing. And Paul actually dealing with certain, he was dealing with certain similar things with the Galatians. If you start looking at the book of Galatians, there was also false teachers entering the church. And Paul had told the Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who's bewitched you? A lot like modern times today. Not much has changed. False teachers came to the church with so much knowledge, yet they were completely empty. Have you ever ran into somebody that is a very smart person, but yet you realize there is a void within them? I've run into people like that. Just like the Pharisees of the time. I don't know if you remember the story of the demoniac in Scripture. There was a man that was possessed, Scripture says, with thousands of demons. Thousands of demons. And Jesus came to this person. And this man recognized who Jesus was. But yet the Pharisees who possessed thousands of scriptures didn't recognize Jesus. They were filled and puffed up with so much knowledge, yet they didn't know the Messiah standing right before them. So you see, knowledge doesn't equal truth. Knowledge doesn't equal truth. And we see this here in our own backyard today. And I've spoken about this here before. It's called the American dream. The American dream. What does the American dream look like? We'll just name a couple things. A nice house, a nice car, a nice job, a nice family, a nice bank account, early retirement, die easy and no hell. That's what this world wants to sell you. That's the American dream. And there's billions of dollars spent every year to get you to buy this dream. And I'm here to tell you this, church, don't fall for that dream. And some false teachers today are offering you this dream. Some people today present Christianity this way. They offer you the world with a little bit of Jesus on Sundays. The truth is this, that Christianity will only offer you one thing. And that's Christ, because that is all we need. That is all we need is Jesus. And the Colossians were faced with challenges like this. 
But then we have to start thinking, are we even really challenged today? Because if the Spirit of God dwells within us, then we are already victorious. We have a flawless victory because Jesus had flawless victory. But the problem is, is that at times we get tripped up. We're going to get tripped up. And I love what Pastor Rafi said a few weeks ago, if you were here, it was on Mother's Day. He says, we get tripped up because we begin to make an idol to satisfy our flesh. I don't know if you guys remember him saying that. And when we do these things, when we give into our fleshly desires, just like the Colossians did, they grew up with other idols that they worshipped. They had made false gods to suit their own needs. Gnostic mysticism. Gnostic mysticism. And there's still churches here today. I won't name churches, but there's churches here today in America that believe in Gnostic mysticism. The worship of angels. The worship of angels. And this becomes very dangerous. Because when we begin to do that, we don't place Jesus in his proper throne. So then this is what happens. It's Christ that's fighting against the principalities of darkness. But when we give into our flesh and we begin to follow these other fables and these other tales, when we begin to make up these idols, we're actually fighting on the team that Jesus is fighting against. And it's hard to say this. It's hard to say that I'm a soldier for Christ, but I often also go and drink coffee with the enemy. And sometimes me and the enemy strategize certain things. And often me and the enemy get close and personal. You see, we can't be married to Christ, yet we're dancing with the devil. Light has no business with darkness. Scripture says it. So the challenge doesn't come to Jesus because Jesus is overall. The challenge comes to us if we aren't rooted in the right things. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says this. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? So if we're going to fight, church. Let's make sure that we're fighting on the right team. Amen? So as we go through the book of Colossians, we're going to see what Paul begins to speak to the church of Colossae. And what the life of a believer should look like. So I'm going to pick up where Pastor Rigo left off. It's going to be chapter 2 and verses 1 and 2. And Paul's writing to the church from a jail cell. And this is very important to know. He's writing to people who he has never met. So why is it important? It's important so they may know his qualifications. That for preaching the gospel, he was thrown in jail. And he's writing this epistle not for his benefit, but for the benefit of the people. So chapter 2, give me an amen when you're there. We're going to start at verse 1. Amen. So chapter 2, verse 1. I want you to know how much I have agonized for you and the church at Laodicea. So I want to give you some context here of the church of Laodicea. Just so you know, uh, the church of Laodicea was a very close church to the Colossian church. In relationship and both in distance, they're about nine miles away from each other. And they had a very close relationship. So I want you to know how much I have agonized for you and the church at Laodicea. And for many other believers who have never met me personally. Verse 2. I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. 
And I want them to have complete confidence that they understand, check this last part out, that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. Understand God's mysterious plan. And Paul knew that the false teachers here claimed to have special knowledge of the mysteries of God's truth. And that's why Paul is insisting that Christ is God's mystery and all understanding is found in him. It's not found in Gnostic mysticism. It wasn't found in the worship of angels. It wasn't found in other idols. It's found in Jesus and in Jesus alone. Have you ever met, I kind of asked you this, have you ever met someone who has, knows so much about a subject, but you can tell there's just a bit of arrogance within this person? Like they know so much of it. And there's just certain things that an ordinary person won't understand to these people. In the corporate world, these people are called something. They're called SMEs. S-M-E. What does that mean? Subject matter expert. I don't know if you've ever heard of that or if you work in a corporate setting. That's what they're called. Subject matter experts. And they know so much about one thing. That often their pride and arrogance gets the better of them. Because they're the expert in their field. This is what they know best. And I think the false teachers of the time were like this. They believed to know so much. And they felt so deeply that what they believed was true amongst the church. That they wanted to grab the people of the church, the congregants of the church, and say, yes, I know you heard this from Paul, but I have something else for you. I have something greater for you. And it was all lies. It was false. It's crazy because they're so puffed up with knowledge that they claim to have that they missed Jesus completely. Like the Pharisees. They possessed so much scriptures. And many of them students of the Torah since they were kids. A life dedicated to being teachers of the law. Yet when the one who prophesied, who was prophesied in scripture came before them, they didn't know him. Knowing scriptures does not qualify you. Only God can qualify you. Let's jump to verse 3. In him lies hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And I am telling you this so no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. Verse 5. For though I am far away from you, my heart is with you, and I rejoice that you are living as you should, and that your faith in Christ is strong. So well-crafted arguments. I'm sure people have come to you with well-crafted arguments before. Not only biblical arguments, but maybe regular arguments that, that you, you may feel, man, there's no chance that I have against this person. They just speak so well because they're so crafty with their words. And we're living in a time from a spiritual standpoint, where many people are atheists, many people are philosophers, and many people who have dove into the arms or the realms of spirituality. We see this everywhere. And they speak so well, and their arguments against Christianity are so well articulated. They're well-crafted, but it doesn't change the fact that it's still false. Charles Spurgeon said this. He says this, atheism is a strange thing. 
Because even the devils never fell into that vice. For the devils also tremble and believe. So Paul says, watch out for these people among you, church. Because it's not just the people who don't believe in God that are spreading false theology. But it's those who are among you and have a watchful eye. No, you know Paul dealt with this same thing in the Galatians. He told them, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? He recognized that there was someone infiltrated in the church that was spreading false ideologies. They're puffed up with speech. And this is the thing. If our faith in Jesus is strong, then people can come to us with well-crafted arguments. They could come with eloquent, eloquent speech, with a puffed up knowledge. But we, Christians, we combat falseness with truth, right? And when you hold truth, lies of the enemy become exposed. And we see that all throughout Scripture. Verse 6, and now just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. So we're going to see a pattern here in this epistle. Paul continually speaks on being rooted. So verses 6 and 7, there's three observations to be made here. Observation number one, look at verse 6. You must continue to follow him. It's continuous. It's finishing the race. It's not following him only when times get tough. The life of a believer is to follow Jesus forever. And Pastor Rigo has said this here before. Many people will start the race, but many people do not finish the race. You start well, but you don't finish well. So the life of a believer is to continue to follow Jesus. Observation number two is found in verse seven. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built upon him. Not only follow him, but with every ounce of your being, be entangled in Christ. Every aspect of your life, let him, let it reflect Jesus. Be built upon him. And the third observation, once you continue to follow and once you are rooted, then your faith will grow strong. So for your faith to grow strong, something needs to happen. You need to continue to follow him. And as you continue to follow him, be rooted in him. Once you've done those two things, then your faith is strong and rooted. Amen? Your faith will be immovable. Let's go to verse 8. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. There is no human solution for spiritual problems. We don't need Jesus plus human insight. And that's what the Colossians were dealing with. The false teachers of the time, they were saying, yes, you have Jesus, but I have something else for you. Come and let me show you worship of angels. Come and let me show you a little bit of Gnostic mysticism. Much like today, a lot of religions and a lot of spirituality people, they'll say, yes, Jesus is good, but there's something else that's deeper. I have 
I have wisdom of something else that you don't know about. Come over here. Let me whisper these things into your ear. So we don't need Jesus plus human insight, right? We don't need Jesus plus a crystal ball. We don't need Jesus plus a magic bracelet. We don't need Jesus plus a set of colorful stones. We need him and him alone. It's Christ and Christ alone. And I don't know if you're into these kind of things. If you are, we can have a conversation later. But I have met so many people that believe in rocks. They believe in, in crystals. And they pray to crystals. And they, they believe that there's power held in, in these rocks and, and in these artifacts and, and in bracelets. Rather than, than believing in Christ. That Christ is the one that holds all the power. They put their faith and trust in a rock. And I know it sounds funny, but there's people that believe these things. And these are people that need to be prayed for, that the chains are broken over their life. That power is found at the cross of Christ and at the cross of Christ alone. Amen? So look what Paul says. High-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking. Magic bracelets, crystal balls, rocks. This is human thinking. Human thinking, we don't need that. But in this world, placed before you every type of nonsense and has stamped it with a Jesus logo. That's what we're living here today. That's what they've lived back then. The church has not changed much from the early church. Things that they dealt with back then, we still deal with today. And many of these things will present themselves to you in the name of Christ, but they are far from him. Jesus says that, I believe in the book of Matthew, that many will worship me with tongue, but their hearts are far from me. So Jesus speaks about that. In verse 9, for in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. Paul's here now. He's, he's talking about the deity of Jesus, that he is fully man and fully God. So verse 10, so you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head of every ruler and authority. Be rooted in Christ, as Paul says in verse 7. Our entire lives must be built upon him. Jesus shouldn't be something we add to our lives. He shouldn't be a box that we check at the end of the week. He shouldn't be someone we turn to in times of trouble or need. Paul says our lives should be built upon him. Built upon him. As Pastor Rafi said this, he is the main character in our story. He's not an extra that was casted. He is the writer. He is the, rec he is the director and the star of the show. What show? This show called Life revolves around him. We are merely a piece to his grand Puzzle, so be rooted in him. Amen? Amen? You see, because when you are rooted in him, you won't be captured with these empty philosophies. Because you could discern truth from lies. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's claiming that truth is found in him. How many people in history have come up and claimed to have truth? Many people say that they have truth. But Jesus is the only person in history that claimed, I am the truth. He's the only one that's claimed that. And I could go through a list of people, through a list of religions that claim, yes, we know the way. 
But Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and life is found in me. Verse 11. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised. But not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision. Cutting away of your sinful nature. Thank the Lord that he has come to cut things away from us. Verse 12. For you were buried with Christ. When you were baptized and with him you were raised to new life. Right? Scripture says that we are a new creation found in him. You're raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. When we get into these next verses, I really want you to pay attention because to me in chapter 2, the next verses, it's 13 through 14, is very, very powerful. So let's start verse 13. You were dead because of your sin and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. We were dead. What can a dead person do? A dead person cannot do anything. Then God made you alive with Christ. We didn't make ourselves alive. We weren't resurrected. We didn't resurrect ourselves. We're made alive because of what Jesus did. For he forgave all of our sins. Verse 14, he canceled. He canceled the record of, of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. 13 through 15 is the gospel. This is what the gospel is. I want to show you a picture. Rudy, if you could bring this, this picture up for me. And some of you might know what this is. Do you guys know what that is? What is that? That's the back of a police car. Some of you may have even sat back there before. It's okay. There's no shame in that. Some of you may know that very, very well. I used to drive a police car identical to that. Just like that one. And I have put numerous amounts of people in that back seat. Numerous amounts of criminals have sat in the back of my police car. It's not the most comfortable thing in the world, I'll tell you right now. When you're cuffed behind your back and these seats are not comfy seats, they're not cloth, nice, they're not crocodile leather, it's nothing like that. They're hard plastic seats. And then I have to strap that seatbelt around a prisoner. And I have to put them back there. And then sometimes I got to deal with prisoners that are throwing up back there. I have to deal with people that were very sick that I had to put back there. And a lot of times when I place people back there, I would judge people. Oh, no, wait, Christians don't judge. We're not people, we're not people that judge, right? That's not this church. When I used to place people back there, a thought of judgment will come into my mind. These people are criminals. They deserve to go back there because of a crime that they have committed. That's where they belong. Locked up. That's where they need to be because they broke the law. 
You guys know what these are? No, they're not designer bracelets. Well, I mean, they could be. These are made by Smith & Wesson. Maybe they know Dolce & Gabbana. I don't know. But these are not designer bracelets. These specific handcuffs, these that I hold in my hand, have been placed around the hands of numerous people. I can't even tell you how many people I've placed in with these handcuffs. I can't tell you. And sometimes people will look at me while I hold these and they'll say, oh, I would never touch this. Some people will see me hold these and maybe they say, you better not shake my hand after service. I don't know where these cuffs have been. I've never handcuffed myself before. <laughs> Jesus is a chain breaker. I don't need a key for these. This is not us, church, right? That because regardless of somebody's past, the church is to show love, show people mercy, right? We're not people that pass judgment. The believer is not someone that passes judgment on somebody else because we don't know the story. We don't know the past. What we do is we look on the outside, but we're not looking on the inside. And that's what God does. God is looking on the inside. He's looking at the heart of a person. And although, yes, that you may get tripped up, and all of us are going to get tripped up, God is looking at the heart. We don't pass judgment because the reality is that I am one of those who deserve to be sitting in the back seat of that vehicle. I deserve that. The reality is, is that I'm the one that deserves to have these handcuffs placed around me. And we see, we see this because of their past, because people when they're past or because of a choice that they made, they deserve to be in handcuffs. But the truth is, is that those handcuffs should have been placed on me because I was a criminal against God. Maybe you say, oh yeah, but you're not a bad guy. You don't break the law. I've broken God's law. What higher authority is there than God's law? I've broken God's law. I sinned against him. And no matter how bad, I want you to know this. You may want to write this down. No matter how bad, no matter how filthy, no matter what you've done, your past does not disqualify you from taking a seat at the king's table. Doesn't matter what you've done. Because God restores all. God fixes all. And before I was a Christian, this is how I walked. I walked like this. I was shackled. And let's be real. Maybe some of you here today are still walking around chained together. Not living in the freedom that Jesus gives. It's, it's crazy to me that we could hear a gospel of freedom, but yet we still live in bondage. Because the scripture says, who the son sets free is free indeed. But yet we still walk like this. What has happened? Why aren't some of us living in the freedom that Jesus gives? You believe that Jesus is a chain breaker over your life, right? So why are you still walking around chained? Why? 
I've heard this so many times before. I have to clean my life up before I come to Jesus. I have to start living right before I can come to him. How about I tell you this? No. No. Let Christ do the cleaning. Let Christ do the transformation from the inside out. There is nothing that you can do to clean yourself up. It's by the power of the blood of Jesus that the heart is transformed. You see, you cannot transform yourself because then that would just be a behavior modification instead of a heart transformation. You see, we've earned this. I've earned this to go before the judge of the universe and answer for the crimes that I've committed. I hope you're listening. This is the gospel. This is what the gospel is. And without an attorney to plead my case, I'm going to be found guilty. I'm going to be found guilty, given the maximum penalty for my crime. I'd be a prisoner on death row, no chance of parole, no chance of ever getting out eternal separation from God forever because of sin. This is what sin does to you. Sin keeps you like this. It keeps you shackled. I've heard preachers say this, sin is only fun for a season, not for a believer. Not for an instant is sin fun. But you see, there's good news to this. Because we, all of us, have had an encounter with someone. Let me tell you about this attorney that I know. You see, this is the best attorney ever. Because he has never lost a case. And someone one day told me about this attorney, and they told me that he has the capability of freeing every criminal that he meets. And this attorney is able to wipe your criminal record clean. He's able to wipe the charges against you away. If you're held captive, he's able to break the chains around you. Things from your past get erased with this person. He gives you a new life, a new identity, and you are no longer a criminal in his eyes. This attorney's name is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, and he's never lost a case. Here's his calling card. And it's easy to call on him. And it's easy to find him. He's made himself known to the world. In fact, he even says this. He says, those that seek me will find me. He's not in hiding. He doesn't charge you because he's paid your debt. There's no attorney's fees. Imagine that. He doesn't charge $350 an hour. It's free. He paid the debt for you on the cross of Calvary. It's free. And for him to take your case, he only requires a few things. That you confess and repent about your crimes. And that by faith, you believe in him. And just like that, your guilt turns into innocence. And we tend to forget this. We tend to forget that the great attorney has already pleaded our case to the judge. 
And the verdict is in, church. You are free. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. Betsy, can you get me out of these cuffs, please? (laughs) Stay tuned for my next preaching. I'll bring a bulletproof vest. (laughs) And maybe we could talk about spiritual warfare. You've used cuffs before. Hang on to them for me if you can. Amen. That's some of us, church. All of us at one point were cuffed like that. All of us in here walked around like that. We were all criminals against God, but then we met the ultimate attorney. Jesus came to set criminals and captives free. That's why you're here today. You're here because you're free, because you heard a gospel of freedom and radical transformation in your heart. Because the gospel is the only message in the world that has the power to transform a person's heart. Amen? Worship team, you could start coming up. Okay, I'm going to wrap this up soon. Let's go to verse 16. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink. Or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or the Sabbaths. Verse 17. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. Right here we're talking about Jewish legalism. Verse 18. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on poise, self-denial, or worship of angels. Gnostic mysticism. Saying that they have had a vision about these things. Their sinful minds have made them proud. And they are not connected to Christ, the head of the body, for he holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments. And as it grows, God nourishes it. Let's jump into verse 20. You have died with Christ. And he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. Don't wear those cuffs again. You've died to that. So why do you keep following these rules of the world? Such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. Verse 23. These rules may seem wise. Look what Paul is saying. The rules seem good. They may seem wise. Because they require strong devotion, poise, self-denial, and severe bodily discipline. But they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. In other words, the rules don't get down to the issues of your heart. Showing off rule keeping only says... That you're nice on the outside, but you're dead on the inside. It's like spraying perfume on a casket. It smells nice on the outside, but when you open up a casket, there's a dead corpse in there. Legalism doesn't get to the deep problem. And that's why Paul is saying this in verse 23, that they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. You can follow all the rules in the world, but still be a criminal at heart. 
Because God is not looking at how good you keep the rules. He's looking to see if you have repented and if by the death, burial, and resurrection of his son, he has transformed your life. We don't fall under the Mosaic law. We don't follow these rules. We fall under a new covenant, a covenant of grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of works. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord that he is gracious and merciful and his grace falls upon us. The Bible says that his mercy and his grace is new every single day. This is what the Colossians were struggling with. They still wanted to keep ceremonial laws and I think they had a hard time understanding what grace is. Let's get some things in order with grace. What does grace mean? Grace is something that is unmerited. It's something that is not deserved. But the Bible says that God is rich in mercy and rich in grace. It flows out of him abundantly. And he's chosen to give grace to you. So in this grace, it doesn't mean that we now have a license to sin. I'm sure you have heard it before. Oh, God will forgive me. He knows my heart. It's just this one time. And we make all the justifications for giving into the flesh. Oh, he's a God of forgiveness. Come on, are you living a lifestyle of committing sin or a lifestyle of practicing sin? What are we doing? Those are two very different things. Do you walk to get tripped up sometimes or are you running a race with no legs? We're gonna get tripped up, church, and that's okay. It's okay. We're not called to live a lifestyle of continuously practicing sin. Will we sin? Yes, absolutely. But thanks be to God that we have an advocate for when we do. Jesus Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extensioners will inherit God's kingdom. I love verse 11. Everybody loves to, to bash people with this verse. But look what verse 11 says. And such were some of you. It's like getting a mirror and just reflecting it right back to us. This was us. Thieving, fornicating, idolaters. That was us. But look what he says. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. We're set free from ever wearing handcuffs again. We're set free from it. This new life that we now have in Jesus is not like the life of the world. That's why he says in Colossians verse 10, be renewed, put on your new nature. The renewed person, the new nature person has new desires. And we have a new heart and in our newness, we don't desire the things that we once did. Praise the Lord for that. You guys can stand with me. You know, last week, on a Saturday, we had Fit Nest about two Saturdays ago, and we went over the fruits of the Spirit. 
And these fruits is what the Lord desires of us. In Galatians chapter 5, starting at verse 22, it says this, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Listen to this carefully. This is what God is producing in you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. You are not condemned, church. You've been justified. You've been justified. You're being sanctified. These are the things that we should be living out. All of these that Paul speaks on should be pillars in the life of a believer. It's our trademark. Not that we just speak these things, but that we live these things. Charles Spurgeon once said this, I am told that Christians do not love each other. I am very sorry if that be true, but I'd rather doubt it. For I suspect that those who do not love each other are not Christians. What is the main attribute of being a Christian? Is to love one another. Love is the one main attribute that we possess. It is the conquering weapon. Paul's going to speak a lot on this in in chapter 3 of Colossians on how love binds everything together. And Jesus says that they will know you are my disciples by your love. So what is the point of all of this? Why do we study the scriptures? Why are you sitting here today? What is the purpose of our gathering? It is this, that there is a living hope. And that living hope, church, dwells within you. Our purpose for being here is Him. The way we live our the way we live our lives is because of Him. Even the false teachers in Colossae, in the errors of the ways, point to Jesus. It points to Him. Jesus is the center. He has always been, from Genesis to Revelation. It all points to Christ. It's all about Him. So I encourage you, church. And if you got anything for today's message, let it be the love found in the gospel. Because the gospel is about him. Jesus versus everything. Jesus over all. Can we agree with that today? Jesus is over everything. Jesus versus everything. In everything, Jesus is there. I don't know what you've walked in this place with today. I don't know if you are somebody in here today that is still wearing handcuffs. I don't know if you are bound. I don't know what trial you face, what sickness you face. I don't know if you have troubles in your family. I don't know what financial issues you have. I don't know if you're here and you have a broken marriage. I don't know what you are facing today, but I can tell you this for certain, that the Jesus that I know, the Jesus that you know, is a chain breaker. He breaks these chains over your life. Seek him and you will find him when you seek him 
with all of your heart. With every eye closed in here today, and right where you're at, if this is you, that you are just at a place where you do not see a light at the end of the tunnel, that you are just so heavy burdened, right where you're at, you could just lift your hand. And we could get in prayer here today. Because we know that, Lord God, we have nowhere else to turn but to you, Lord. Because of your gospel, a gospel of freedom, a gospel that has set me free from death, and now I walk into your glorious life. Because of that gospel, Lord, I know that I have flawless victory. I walk in victory because of you, Lord. And no matter what I face, Lord God, I know that the Holy Spirit is working in my heart because I am still standing and I am still praising your name here today. I pray that chains are broken over this place today, Father God. I pray that generational curses are broken in here today, Father God. Lord God, I pray for marriages to be restored in here today, Lord. I pray that financial burdens in here today, Father God, are lifted, Lord. I pray, Lord, that those that are sick, Father God, that your healing hand touches them and they, that they are healed right where they stand, Lord. I am not preaching today a gospel of prosperity. I'm preaching a gospel of the cross of Jesus Christ. That the Jesus that does miracles in the Old Testament, he does miracles in the New Testament, and he does miracles here today. That is the God that we serve, church. Lord God, I pray for greater revelation of you, Lord. I pray for greater intimacy with you, Lord God. I thank you for today, Lord Jesus. May the floodgates of heaven just open in this place. Holy Spirit, that you take full control of our lives, Lord. I thank you, Lord. We give you the greatest praise and the greatest honor in here today. And God's people say yes and amen. Hallelujah.